supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Salute podcast powered by Holden, celebrating its 50th anniversary of factory involvement in Australian motorsport and in the great race at Bathurst. Now in this episode, we're talking to a driver that was there at the very beginning. Our guest co-drove the winning Holden dealer team Monaro at Bathurst in 1969. He's also an Australian touring car champ, a multiple Australian rally champion, and one of the most versatile drivers Australia's produced. Yep. Holden Bond. We're going to chat about his time as a Holden factory driver at the Holden dealer team, including how he was supposed to be in the seat for the HDT's very first race. And of course, stay tuned for your couch racer questions. Fans from Facebook sending their questions to a legend of the sport. Now, I sat down with Bondi over a cuppa at his own kitchen table at home in Sydney. And as always, he was in fantastic form, and I hope you enjoy this chat. On the day that we load this live, October the 5th, 2019, it's 50 years exactly to the day since he won at Bathurst in 1969. So it's an amazing period to cover. We, we couldn't cover it all, but we covered as much as we could in the time available. So anyway, here we go. Buckle up, time to start. Colin Bond from the VH Luke podcast, powered by Holden. Bondy, it is 50 years to the day that this podcast goes to air and is released that you won Bathurst. Did you think? In 1969, that someone would want to be talking to you about something you did 50 years ago. <laughs> oh, gosh, I think when we were younger, we never thought we were going to get this old. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Look, I, you know, and I think that um, i just say one thing about motorsport, you know, because I always wanted to be a professional sports person, if possible, you know. And I played professional soccer and all that type of thing and a bit of golf in those days. And I thought, well, you know, golf and motorsport seemed to be the only ones you could do when you're 50, you know, and still be competitive. <laughs> um, and I think it's been good to us, actually, because, you know, afterwards you look at now and everything still works, you know, because motor racing's supposed to have been dangerous. But really, with all the modern cars and everything else and all the tracks that have been modified over the years, it's a fairly safe sport now, you know, and the car does all the work and you just sit there and you to drive. We have come a long way since yeah, uh, yeah. 1969, 50 years of factory Holden mm. support. But the ironic thing is at the time when the Holden dealer team was formed, mm. it was kind of the factory team you had when you weren't allowed to have a factory team. It's a bit <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Well, it's even worse than that, I suppose, when you think about it because the whole how it all happened was the fact that Harry Firth always with Ford, you know, in the earlier days and and prepared them and then all of a sudden Ford decided they bring out Al Turner, you know, to run the Ford motor racing side of things. And um, so Harry was out of a job and, and then next minute, you know, GM picked him up and they sort of said, you know, we go to Bathurst, run, you know, three cars. 
So he decided to run one car at Sandown, you know, first off, because Sandown's usually three weeks in those days before Bathurst, and it was always a good indicator on how you're going to go during the race. Even though the race was half the distance, it still had the same number of laps and about the same brake wear and lots of things. So you could actually judge, you know, from running Sandown how you could go at Bathurst. Uh, He asked me if I could drive with Spencer Martin, and I said, look, I'm going to New Guinea to do a rally on that same weekend. And and lucky I did, I think, because uh, the history of the race goes that that Spencer, well, you know, Harry got um, Kevin Bartlett to drive with him, and Spencer lasted three laps, ran out of brakes, went backwards into the fence (laughs) at the end of the straight, (laughs) caught fire, disaster, you know. Anyhow... um, and it hurt Spencer's back, so even then when, when it came to Bathurst, he, he wasn't able to drive. But uh, in between Sandown and Bathurst, Harry did get a few mods uh, done to the cars. You know, in particular, I think the wheels that were on the car originally were just solid wheels. So the ones he had were obviously off something else in Holden, but they had slots in the wheels to get a bit of air through it. They cut a little slot under the front bumper bar in the front to get a bit more air into it as well, um, which obviously helped. But I don't think – I still looked at that and I thought, now, there was something wrong. It shouldn't have run out of brakes after three laps, you know. And, and when you think about it, in those days, we used to drive the cars to and from the track. So often, you know, you'd put the standard pads in to drive it around the road and, you'd, you know, you'd run the disc in with the standard pads and you'd get there and put the race pads in and everything else. And I'm not sure whether someone forgot to put the race pads in or just that the race pads weren't bedded in properly, you know, and he just arrived and bingo – but um, so that was the, that was the sort of the start of it, and and the only other thing that we were able to do when I came back, he gave me a Monaro to drive at Amaroo Park the week before Bathurst. Uh, a road car or a race car? Uh, no, it was just a road car. Yeah. But it was we used to call it the Iron Horse. We used to rally cross it. We used to do <laughs> <laughs> anything with it, uh, and and all the guys were there, you know, from particularly Sydney and everything else, and and you could run the race car that you're going to run at Bathurst there. And I'm rushing around in this thing, you know, and, and I was quickest. And, and I thought, oh, well, it's not so bad, you know. And rang Harry and told him, and he was quite pleased. So, you know, and, and now, and that was it. But, I mean, obviously, you know, with Spencer out of the equation for Bathurst, he got Peter Macro and Hank Walters, who were both sort of Formula 2 drivers, really, in, in what we used to call number one car. And then Tony Robertson myself was in the number two car, and we were both rally people. And, and Tony was going to rally for Holden, or Harry anyway, and so was I. Uh, and then Peter Brock and um, Desi West, you know, because Desi had been, obviously, to Bathurst lots of times, you know, because he was a Holden dealer in the past. He used to race Humpy Holdens, even going back further than that, <laughs> I think. But So, and that, that was the uh, the team, and it was, like, virtually only, you know, a couple of months old. So how does the deal start for you to actually get the phone call? Because I, I guess with your rallying background, that's mm. where you and Firth had probably come across one another beforehand? True. We, look, I used to rally against Harry. This was in the Mitsubishi days, of course, you know, and he had a lady called Tina, poor thing. <laughs> but anyway, we used to give him a hard, hard time. But look, it all came about really, I think, that he didn't realise that we'd done a bit of racing. You know, we had the Persia, of course, and we were three times the New South Wales Hill Climb champion and what have you. And we ran out of Bathurst and all sorts of places. Um, and we'd been to Bathurst before in a cult. No, it was a Mitsubishi. Um, Bolette. Uh, 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 Azuzu Bolette. Yeah, 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 yeah. They used to sell them at the same shop or something. That was <laughs> but anyway, 
Yeah, after Troy, when we did Around Australia Rally in 1964 or something, and we were in a Volkswagen, after Troy was in the Volkswagen number three, we were number four, and somehow or other used to pick them out of the hat, and that's how you sort of went in the event. So we got to know him really good, so when we got back, he, he just lived not very far from where we lived, and he bought this particular car, so we used to rally it, and then we ran it twice at Bathurst, and mind you, it wasn't. <laughs> you can't rally your Commodore supercar these days. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know, but I'm just thinking now, but I, I mean, it was a good rally car, but I mean, it was, we were outclassed, obviously, it, you know, it had drum brakes all round for starters, and 1600ccs, it was only a class car, of course, but it wasn't bad, you know, we had a bit of fun. Um, the front hub broke once, you know, and all that type of thing, but these things used to happen in those days. You know, so we'd been there before, but I think Hank, um, um, my cable, sorry, um, has been talking to Harry and said that I'd done a bit of racing, so he thought, oh, okay, you know, and then he, that's when he rang me and, and asked me if I'd get, at least go with Spencer the first one, um, and then he get, he put, you know, the team was picked, obviously, to go to Bathurst. Back in those days... Compared, to, I mean, mm. now drivers have managers. They've oh. got contracts with clauses mm. that they'll do this and they won't do that, and mm. this is part of it, and that's not part of it. Handshake deal in 1969, a, a dollar deal. What, what are we talking? <laughs> I don't think we got a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I think with Harry and everything else originally, anyway, all you got was a bit of prize money, you know, that was you know from the racing, and often, um, I mean. We're going on a little bit here because, you know, like this is the first race, so we didn't get involved with the car going to Bathurst for 69. But, you know, like um, Tatey and Brocky and one of the other boys drove the cars from Melbourne, mm. you know, to Bathurst. And in those days, you know, they, they'd been prepared, so they used to sort of line them up on the way up and just, you know, both in third gear and both accelerate at the same time and see if they were equal and what have you. And, I mean, they were standard motor cars, so they were fairly always equal. Um and then, of course, we only got there, you know, for Saturday. We might have got there Friday, I presume. I don't know now. Saturday was just, you know, qualifying and practice. And um, and I think in those days, you know, all the drivers and mechanics, <laughs> we had about two rooms, I think, in <laughs> some hotels. Just piled on top of each other almost. Um, and there was obviously, you know, no motorhomes out the back and there was, you mm. know, if you're lucky later on, you might have got a caravan or something. <laughs> wow. Wow, you know, and put it there. <laughs> but uh, that's the way it was. Um, and, yeah, look, you know, I, I found the race itself um, very easy to do. It was one of those situations you get into. The car was good. It's the first time I'd been there with a competitive motor car. So you'd never driven the actual race car until the Saturday practice? No. Is that right? No. no Can you no. imagine? And they're all bleeding and moaning this year that there's not a Sandown Enduro before they go to Bathurst. Oh, I know, I know. But look... Again, I mean, the whole thing's completely different. You've got to go back and think that we were running standard motor cars. So, I mean, you could just go and borrow one from the dealer or something and drive around the block or something, and it wasn't much different, you know. Um, you know, except you've got a bit more necky camber and you've got a bit of this and a bit of that and maybe better shocks or something. I'm not sure what you're even allowed to do back then, you know, because the trouble with series production was when the race was over, we were all back to Gurdon Motors, you know, in Bathurst. You know, and next minute they're pulling the whole car apart and checking this and checking that and making sure that someone hadn't had a bit of a fiddle here and that. But, um, no, it was, uh, I can say it, we, we really enjoyed it. I think it was a lot of fun. And it was at the time, too, I think, when people used to say, oh, well, win on Sunday, sell on Monday situation. Of course, they were virtually the same cars. 
Did you understand at the time? I mean, Bathurst at that stage, the track had been around a fair while, yep. but the actual race that we know now as the 1000 had, mm. was in its what, sixth year or, or thereabouts. Mm. Was it a big deal at the time or was it just another race that later became a big deal? Oh, no, I think it was always been a big deal. It was one of those things that with a bit of you know television and even before television was involved, you know, they used to make a bit of a movie of it, you know, on Cine Sound or whatever <laughs> in the old days. Anyhow, so all of a sudden people will sit and watch it all day. You know, they have a barbecue somewhere. Still and, do. Well, they do, but I, I just sort of think now that uh, in those days just about everybody, and I keep on saying it a little bit that to me Bathurst for a driver was a bit like uh, someone winning the, the um, Melbourne Cup as a jockey. You know, the, the jockeys are racing every weekend and mm. only the people that actually go to the races know who the jockeys are. Then all of a sudden, you know, he wins or she wins on on the race and, and everyone knows because it's such a, you know, good publicity thing. And I think the same thing happened at Bathurst. All of a sudden you were known. Um, and also then Harry picked up myself and Peter, of course, after the race and, and away we went. And we had a very successful time, you know, after the race, just going to the race meeting after and winning and winning and winning. It was, it was, it was very good. <laughs> so that deal for Bathurst 69, that was just for the one race. There was no, no sign you up. It was, okay, well, let's just see how it goes after that and away, you know. Well, if you think about in those days and GM had a policy that they weren't supposed to go motor racing. So they had to go rallying. So I knew I was in for the rally situation anyway, and, and same with Tony, and, and, and the same, you know, Tony was going to do sort of the Melbourne side of rallying, and um, Barry Ferguson did the New South Wales side of it, and, and I was doing the Australian sort of rally championship and the occasional Melbourne one or whatever. Um, and that was, I think, to justify it to um, the bosses over in America that... Yeah, I can, uh, like later on, I can remember we had extra ones and things there, of course, you know, and if someone from America came out, they just put spotlights on all the race cars. <laughs> it's an instant rally car. That's all right, it's a rally cars. But anyway, look, as you said, it was always done through a dealer team and I think they were trying to justify it that way, of course. What's the standout memory for you from winning that Bathurst race in, in 1969? Is there one particular moment that really sticks in your brain? Oh, no. Look, we, we just had a very good race. Um, we only qualified seventh on the grid, you know, and this is the time when all the Fords had their race tyres for the first time. This is Al Turner brought out the good years and everything else. And Digby Cook was second, you know. I think the grid went something like, you know, Pete Gagan on pole, then Digby Cook in the Monaro, and then Moose McPhee, you know, and then there was a couple more Fords, you know, Moffat and what have you, and then we were the next Holden. But we were running on the Michelin XASs, which is the road tyre. Um, and Bruce McPhee did in the race. I'm not sure what he was on, you know, when he was qualifying. But, you know, I mean, Al Turner had the right idea. I mean, the race tyres were the right idea, just that they hadn't done any testing on them. And, and you know, they had a problem, of course, with them, and they sort of wore out or blew up. But, you know, I think if you drove them sensibly, and, and after that particular race, I mean, we never went back onto the Michelins. Um, yes, we did. We did for the 12-hour race of Surface Paradise only because um, Tony and I drove there and won it. But it was so abrasive, that surface, you know, and you could do your two hours on your Michelins where your, your race tyres wouldn't last much you know, time at all. So it was – look, as I said, it was one of those events we went to um, on the first lap, you know, we're going up the mountain and, and I was up to probably about fourth or something like that or – 
and next minute Moffat's car pulls off to the left because he's in neutral and can't find any gears, <laughs> sort of, and he lost a lap. And, you know, and then Brisbane Fee comes in after one lap, and, you know, because his co-driver starts and that's all Brisbane The, the old deal with the McPhee deal, and Mulholland, yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden I was up in third spot um, behind Digby Cook and, and, and Gagan and we just circulated and circulated and then, you know, Gagan blew a tyre and so we all got past him and then when Digby came in and changed to his co-driver, that was it. We were in the lead and we never never lost the lead after that. And you had to sort of strike the cars along. You looked after the brakes as much as possible. You know, the brakes that we had were quite small in comparison to what, you know, they've got today. Mm. And, of course, they still change them even though they're massive things. But anyway, it was um, – for us, it just ran perfectly, you know. Um, we never had a problem. I did notice we had a slight dit on the door. I didn't do it. It must have been Tony at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't me. something, you know. But, I mean, look, you know, I sort of launched myself and Peter, I think, because I think Peter did a pretty good job, you know, for the first time. I'd never even known about the guy, you know, mm. until we went to Bathurst that particular year. Um, you know, but like people like Desi Weston, he said after, he said, oh, my God, this race is becoming so professional. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm really having trouble having a cigarette now on the way around. He said, oh, yeah, because those things, have, we still have the cigarette lighters in the middle. He said, I'd light up going up mountain, you know, and then I'd just hold it down going past the pits. And, and so no one could see. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about Frenchie having his sandwiches in the yeah. oranges and all this sort of stuff. I mean, Open face helmets made it much easier, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, much much easier. <laughs> what were the um, what were the perks of being a, a HTDT driver in the the late sixties, early seventies? What were the good parts that those privateer guys would have desperately loved to have had? Oh, look, I, I think well, in hindsight, we should have been getting some good equipment. But I think Harry had some really good people working for him, like with Ian Tate and that, you know, and Frank Clowns. So. We always had good cars, and um, I think if GM were going to do anything new, we probably got it first, possibly, you know, if, if if that was the case. I don't think it happened so much, you know, like in earlier days, but later on I think there were more things, you know, when, when axles were becoming a bit more fragile and what have you, you know, they might try and get a, a bigger axle into the cars or whatever it is or different heat treating. But it was... Um, it became well for me. It was the you became professional. You know, you you actually you're getting prize money anyway. Whoa! <laughs> well, I mean, I look at you know. It's everyone says you look at the the drivers a day and they're being paid a lot of money. You know, and and I think in '77 when we went across the Ford and, and Moffat gave me twenty five grand. You know, to, as a sign on fee. You know, plus a percentage of prize money. And you say like we we bought our first house in Hunters Hill for twenty three grand. You know. Wow. What I mean? So, I mean, it's all relevant, you know, yeah. because you think, well, if they're getting a million bucks, you couldn't buy anything in no. know, Sydney for a million Not bucks. So, so it's it's all relevant, you know. But look, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed the time we had, you know, um, and Holden was good to us. As I said, after the the race, we, the next race on was the Lakeside 1500, you know, and we went up there and I, we won that. And um, and then the 12-hour race at Surfers and Tony and I won that. And, and then there was the, I think, the Tasman Series you know, around Warwick Farm. We won that sort of thing. On so fire. it was on a roll, you yeah. know, just just um, going. And and I think it was good, you know. But um, look, it's like a lot of things. Um, then we went to XU1s and I shouldn't go that far now. But in hindsight, I think we should have run the Monaro for one more year probably and, and then – 
then got the extra mm. ones going because, because the first year we, we just had some problems with them, you know, stupid things, you know, carburetor jets falling out and all this sort of stuff, you know. But anyway. We talked about the 69 race mm. and Tony Roberts, your, your co-driver. A lot of our younger listeners might not be aware, might know the name, but mm. not what Tony did and what he achieved and what he was great at, which oh, really was a clear part of him, but he was successful on circuits as well. Can you mm. can you give our, our listeners a bit more of a snapshot? Yeah, look, what sort of a guy he was and what sort of a partner and, and what sort of a driver? Look, Tony, Tony was he actually worked for GM, same with Bob Watson, you know, and a few others, and they virtually had the Holden dealer team, which they used to rally themselves, you know, through through dealers, I'm not sure. So Tony had been around for quite some time. Um, the Sandown race in, in 68, they won that with Bob, mm. you know, Tony Bob Watson, and Bobby yeah. Watson, you know. Um, and then, obviously, I think they came third or something about this maybe too. That, yeah, I think that's right off that the top year, of my head. You know, yeah. it was, yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, well, you know, 69 was with me, of course. And then um, next year, um, he didn't have a drive there, so he had a forward. I think he was coming third when he did a monumental off the top of the mountain, you know. <laughs> I don't Massive. know what happened, no brakes off. Backwards but, off the uh, uh, off skyline. Skyline, yeah. you know, and disappeared out of sight, you know. And, um, I mean, that was... I think a bit of a shame. I mean, he was probably trying hard because, you know, we were third and he could probably see that he might be able to get up to the first or second. I don't know. Um, I was way back in that, but that was actually one day for us. And I'd already lost about five laps. But anyway, but yeah, so it was a bit of a shame. But no, Tony was an excellent rally driver and what have you. Um, and I guess an engineer because, like, they both he, Bob Watson, were engineers at GM, you know. In different fields, I think, but um, and there was another one too that did originally. But but they that was that was Tony, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he died a long time ago now, but I'm just not sure, you know, because he was being Melbourne based all the time, you know, as well, and we're Sydney based. Yeah, what was that 350 GDS Monaro like to drive? Looking back on it now, do you think, oh my god, how did we drive that thing? <laughs> yeah, no. Mind you, getting out of a bullet into the Monaro. Anything was going to be a step up. <laughs> there were corners going up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really look forward to going down the hill in the bullet, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I know, I look, I I even rallied the, the Monaro. I, I really thought the Monaro, when you got in it, it didn't feel a big car to me, you know. It was... Not too bad, you know, and, and as a rally car, it was great. It was so strong. You know, it was the next thing I couldn't believe, you know, compared to the little Colt Fastback days, you know, if you speed off the road in a little Colt Fastback and bumped into a tree or something, you know, you'd have to back up. In the Monaro, you'd do the same thing, you'd knock the tree over or something <laughs> and keep on going. But, I mean, um, look, you know, I mean, obviously we finished up with XU1s because they were a better, you know, mousetrap, I suppose, for, for doing rallying. Uh, and you didn't get as many tyres, but see, also, like, the Round Australia rally that Tony, myself, and, and um, did in the Monaro, that was going back to 1970 with Brian Hope, and, and we should have won that, except we, on the very first special stage, we got bogged in the sand creek, and we were one of the first cars on the road, and you weren't supposed to have any outside assistance, so we winched ourselves across, you know, which you're supposed to do, and this farmer turned up just as we were just about getting out, and next minute he's charging everyone to be pulled out of the 
out of the sand. So, you know, we went from zero to zero on the first stage and it took us the whole rest of the event, you know, to finally get up to third or second, I suppose, because it was OGA in the Citroën and Edgar Herman in the Nissan, you know, we're equal first and we're the next car. So we, we were sort of knocking them off all the time, but we just couldn't run out of time basically and distance to get them. But, you know, so yeah, that was, and that again, that was just after Bathurst, of course, being, you know, the round Australia just 70. So, yeah. You had a great run going there. Yeah. Bathurst win, Lakeside win, yep. Surface Paradise, which was a 12 hour yeah, enduro 12 hour. Yep, in yep. Uh, early mm-hmm. 1970. Mm-hmm. The Warwick Farm stuff at the Tasman series. Yeah. In a purple patch here, were you just the coming man in every magazine <laughs> front page story? Well, more or less, and I think, you know, this is when Peter hadn't done much at all, you know, because, and then I think what really happened with us in the Holden Dealer team, because we had the rally, which which was for me, which, that worked out all right, because we're three times the Australian champion, mm. you know, and we missed out. Well, second one year because um, Peter Lang, who was also one of our extra ones, he finished up winning our second because we broke an axle in the last event or something, and you know, and that that buggered us. But um, so they were good days, except I, I sort of went on the uh, sports sedan, sort of looking, you know, I was looking at the sports sedans and thought they bit more like a race car than series production cars. And then Peter ran the series production cars, basically, which become the Touring Car Championship Series. So mm. I didn't sort of get back into the Touring Car Series again until what, something, you know, 74 maybe or something mm. like that, you know. So so Peter did very well at that. But then again, in saying that, I used to do, like most of the series production races just here at New South Wales and Queensland, and Peter was actually doing Victoria and South Australia. And when you think about it, we used to have a lot of races in those days. Mm. You know, you just sort of Emory Parks, Oran Parks, and then up to Queensland, Lakeside Surface, you know. And all, I mean, it was sort of, I don't know, it was just something that you did. And, you know, but we were driving the cars and towing the cars, you know, to and from and fixing the cars. And, and as I said later on, it was quite funny, you know, Harry would say, hey, cock, if you want your car fixed for this weekend, you better get yourself down here. So you'll be down there. As a mechanic working on the cars, you know, and um, which I didn't mind anyhow, but uh, it was certainly different. So, would you have spent the majority of the weekends of a fifty-two weekend mm. year rallying, racing, testing, doing something? Oh, sure. Look, you know, we didn't do an awful lot of testing. I must admit. I mean, occasionally we would take, you know, a car to call or something like that. But you just sort of rush around and you'd put some springs in it or do something like that. It was pretty basic. Um, and just see whether you're faster or slower. But look, it was, well, it was a trouble, I think, because that's why with the rallying, the rallying clashed a bit with the, with the motor racing. And because we're trying to win the Australian Championship, it was always more important to do those and to actually, you know, compete, you know, maybe in a touring car race at the time. And when you can, when you look back at it, you know, the touring cars, particularly being series production, it took a while before we started getting very modified cars into that category, mm. you know, that the whole thing's really taken off. And that's what slept over now with the V8, you know, they're highly modified. <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> Did you consider yourself a rally driver that went racing or a race driver that went rallying or you didn't distinguish no we just did both i think and and people said oh you know there's not many that can do both but of course you can i mean jimmy richards was a good rally driver as well as race driver and that and honestly you know anyone overseas these days i mean a lot of the rallies are bitumen rallies as well Mm. you know so you you you've got to be both and i i just think that there's a slightly different technique i guess to it um you know people often ask me i say what would you prefer would you prefer 
you know, racing or rallying and everything else, you know, oh, if you had to do one, you'd do racing because it was easier. <laughs> you weren't stuck in a forest in the middle. Didn't have to clean any muck off your car. <laughs> oh, no. But, but the thing I liked about rallying is if you really, really tried hard, um, you went faster. Whereas racing, if you really try hard, sometimes you go slower. Um, I'm talking touring cars mainly because I, I think it, it, that's slightly different if you go to, you know, like open wheelers and things where they've got a lot of power and they've got a lot of grip and downforce and what have you. But it was, so, you know, it was good fun and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed later on too, I think, you know, when we ran the Ford Rally program for the BDA Escorts and, and you could bring out the world champion mm. to come and drive your car, you know, and we did on Bjorn Waldegard and Hansel Stevius when they were world champions to run the Southern Cross and then Harry Batten and Dave Richards, you know, and you could compete against them because their cars were no better than ours. Um, whereas today, I think in rallying, it's, you know, the factory cars are just like Formula One cars and, and everyone else is in a Formula V, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Hey, something that sprung to my mind too that I needed to pick your brain about. Hmm? So is it correct that in those days, and this is the last one for Bathurst 69, there's plenty of other things to cover off, that these days we basically have the race, the podium, there's the trophy, well done everyone, spray the champagne, trucks leave that night, head to the Gold Coast, or back to home base, off to the Gold Coast. Yep. In those days there was a presentation dinner the next weekend or later that week or whatever whatever, it was so is it true is it true that that was the first date for the lady that became your wife the Bathurst dinner Uh, yeah it might have been (laughs) let's say it was she might be listening Bondi (laughs) no well I think it was because at at that stage yeah we needed I think you needed a partner to take her to the to the ball or something really, you know. You can't turn up being the Bathurst champion solo, can you? <laughs> That's <laughs> no, not very cool. No, anyway, but so that was, yeah, and and Shani lived around the corner from us, you know, in those days, you know, and, um, I mean, we went to the same school, you know, whatever, and that type of thing. A few years difference, of course, though. But, um, yeah, no, no, it was, yeah, and, and not only that, we, um, when we did get married, you know, which wasn't that long. I later. had Tony Roberts as our driver of the. We had three Monaros, of course, for the cars, and uh, Tony drove ours, and Peter Brock the next one, and Barry Ferguson was the driver of the third. So it was not a bad deal. Um, you, you must be the only man in history. In fact, I'm sure of it. You're the yeah. only man in history who got married with his Bathurst winning co-driver driving his wedding car and driving him around. Surely that cannot be beaten by anybody in Bathurst history. Well, not, I don't know, three Monaros, God Almighty, you know, like they were, what would Monaros worth in those days? Five grand? What yeah. are they worth today? Uh, no, more no. than five grand. Which actually leads me to think too, one of the things that we've worked on with V8 Sleuth is tracking the histories of all the old race cars and where mm. they end up. Mm. And particularly Bathurst winners mm-hmm. have great resonance with our yep. fans and motorsport followers around the country. Yep. But one of the ones that just seems to have disappeared into the yonder way back when is that 69 winning Monaro. Imagine what that would be worth today. I know, I know. Well, Spencer Sandown one, I think was That's old. still around. Yeah, there. well, that's right because... The guy from Adelaide had it. Anyway, I'm just trying to think. He used to work for GM mm. and he repaired it. That's right. And I think that, that sold for like half a mil or something. Recently, that, a couple of years ago. Something yeah. like that anyway, you know. Um, but same with Bruce McPhee, you know. Everyone said, well, where did Bruce McPhee's, you know, the year before, the, mm. you know, the 68 car? Who knows? Because what, I mean, everyone sort of says, 
you should have kept all your old race cars. We said, we never thought they were going to be worth this much, you know. But you, know, you sold the old car, so you got the and new one. buy the new one, yeah. And, and it was sort of a, you know, anyhow. But look, and they're only standard cars. I mean, Bobby Morris, you know, also drove at the Monaros and that, because, you know, and that, anyway, they asked us, I think, to go back and go around Bathurst in, it might have been 20 or 30 years on, you know, this is back a few years now, of course. And we drove around and we thought, my God, how in the hell did we drive this? I mean, I mean <laughs> four speed, the steering wheel was only really tiny, you know what I mean, all that bunch seats or something like that. But anyway, I mean, as we said in those days, uh, it was the gun car, you yeah. know, and and away you went. But it, um, time has gone on. I mean, you look at a Toyota Corolla, we'd probably go around Bathurst faster yeah. now than what... Well, I think back know. in those days you were qualifying in the high two-minute 50-something or others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And... Um, uh, a, a Fiat 550 in the Bathurst 12 hour a few years ago was in the 30s. Yeah, so, oh, and that's no. with the chase. So oh, no. things have, uh, Yeah, but he probably had brakes. Yeah, he probably had brakes. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. They're handy. You might need them sometimes. But yeah, oh. what could have been if uh, oh. that 69 Monaro was still floating around somewhere? Absolutely. If they'd kept the Monaros going into 70, do you think they still would have been competitive against the, the Phase 2 that had turned up by then? Well, look, I, I think... Well, you would have run the race tyres for starters, you know what I mean? And I don't think the times were that much faster the next year around. A little bit, but a probably A little bit, not but not a lot. But you would have found more speed and Well, of course you would have found more, and not only that. I mean, see, Digby Cook was only a fraction slower in the pace the year before when he was on the Firestones. Well, in the meantime, one good thing about being a factory car, we had a very we – we could run Bridgestones, Dunlops, Firestone – Anything, whatever, whatever, Anything, you know. Yeah. Whereas today, everyone's stuck on the same tyres and yeah. compounds and everything like that. So you could test, you know, all the tyres that were available, and you would obviously find some better than others, you know. And I think it. I'm probably jumping ahead of myself here, but later, like SU one days, you know, the Bridgestone seemed to come along, and they seemed to be the gun one which would last longer than most of the others. And and if you're in a factory car and you'll be sitting behind Grice or someone. You could just sit behind him and follow him around, and when he started sliding, you just thought, "Oh, we'll see you later." You know, and, <laughs> I'm out of here, <laughs> and off you went. Um, but yeah, look, it's as I said, I think it was um, a great sport. You know, we'd be able to do it for thirty odd years, and there's not many sports you can do for thirty odd years. And I don't think that the next group are coming through, like whether it be like even tennis. I suppose in my day, you know, tennis players, even you know were quite competitive when they were old, but see, there's so many young kids coming through today and they get the same equipment and golf is particular, you know, like, you know, some young, good young kid comes along and someone picks him up now so we can fly everywhere, stay at the best hotels and then when he starts making some money, the guy sort of picks it up. But it's um, it's not just that, it's like all sports. I mean, you look how much people are being paid to play soccer over Europe mm. and everything else, it's just ridiculous, mm, you know. Crazy. The crazy stuff, but, um, oh well. What's the what? Which leads me to a good question. What's the best deal you ever did in motor racing in your time? Whether it's as a driver, a team owner, or a car mm. owner, is there one that you go, "Yep, old C Bond did a good deal that day"? What was oh, what's the deals. best one that you're proud of? I don't know about deals. You know, we sort of um, <clears throat> if you said deals, if you said race, right? That you remember, you know. And it was always a Warwick, uh, no, M- Oran Park. It was Oran Park, 100 lapper or something like that, right? And we were in a rally in Queensland on the Saturday. 
so we flew back Saturday <laughs> or Sunday morning or something and then started the race from the back of the grid. And by lap 30, I was in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those ones you, you're just passing cars left, right and centre and what have you and, and you still had this 70-odd laps to go. And, and I was going along finally and then on the last lap the bloody clutch facing fell off oh. and I just ground to a halt and, and couldn't get to the finish line. So, you know, and oh. in those days the prize money for that particular race was quite good and my wife had already gone out and almost bought a U-lounge with <laughs> or something. But <laughs> so it was not Oops. to be. Oops. Um, Look, deals, I suppose in a lot of respects, I mean, even though it was a funny one, to go and drive in 77 with Moffat because, um, you know, he had Carol Smith coming out to engineer the cars. And was that a big decision for you to make or an easy decision and it was just naturally time to, to move on from, from Oh, HDT? look, I think that really I just sort of felt that Harry was um, not keeping up, you know, with what's happening Technically wise, I think he was a brilliant engineer when he was, you know, when he was racing himself and what have you. Um, so it was a new, how can I say it? I think even after that, I think um, he lost the Holden dealer team as well, mm. you know, because I think, you know, John Shepherd took it over and what have you. And I think even Ian Tate and some of the boys went and worked themselves or whatever the case might have been. Um, but okay, we're being paid, and we we'll, we got a percentage of the prize money. And that particular year, the Fords were sort of dominant. You know, we were just coming first and second in every race you went into. Uh, because a the cars were good, um, and I think the fact that we had Carol Smith engineering the cars was good. Um, he, he brought the American system in. I think where if we went testing before we went, we actually had. Listed what we're going to achieve and what we're going to do on that day. You know, it wasn't just a matter of getting there and saying, oh, what do you think? Make like, it up as a, you go. Put a set of back springs in or something. Yeah, it might be better. Anyway, so so that was good. Um, although it didn't work out very good after that as far as the next year because the, you know, the Holdens came along with the A9X and, and they, they were the better mousetrap in the day and, and that was it sort of thing. Um, but... The fact that we sort of got involved with the rally program at Ford and, and around the escorts, that, that was a lot of fun. You know, I really enjoyed it. We built the cars here. And, and it was amazing too because Ford were actually building escorts um, very close to my workshop at um, Homebush. And, I mean, it was an amazing situation. We used to go to, down the line, pluck a car off, off the line after it had just been dipped and take it back to the factory take all the bracketry off it with full length, the rear suspension, modify, you know, for the bigger gearboxes and everything else we had to do, cut any brackets off we never needed. Um, then we'd take it back and put it back on the line and they'd dip it again and paint it. Double dip. And assemble it for us in two days. We had a wow. car back, you know. And I used to always send one of my mechanics with me, usually George Smith, and, you know, you get some guy on the line, he's got the water, the windscreen washer bottle, and he's looking for the bracket to put it on. <laughs> and you it's know? not there because you've it's acted off. It's not there off. anymore. And, and George said, don't worry about it, put it in the boot. And the guy said, no, no, it doesn't go in the boot. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we might mount it somewhere else or something. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was fantastic. But, I mean, you just couldn't do that anymore. I mean, yeah. like now. But, see, I guess in those days, see, they, they just do a run of white cars and then a run of red cars or whatever it was. Um, I think the day, you know, when the computer starts and the things come and, and the right wheels just turn up and the right colour car turns up and, and away you go. Ta-da. Yeah. yeah, but so, 
Yeah, it was different. Um, you could do those things, but uh, not anymore. <laughs> Did you cop it from the fans? I mean, these days mm. fans have so many other ways to get mm. to athletes and mm. drivers and sports mm. people. I'm holding up my mobile yeah, sure. phone for those who can't see. Yeah. It's a it's no. a very big difference. Were there letters? Was there oh, anger when you made the swap from Holden to Ford? Oh, yeah, no, no. You know, when I can always remember one letter some young kid wrote and he said, oh, it's been the worst day of my life. He said, you know, you've now gone to Ford and my dog died the other day. And, oh, you know, I was all, laying all this, on the guilt trip there. All this sort of stuff, I felt really guilty. Um, no, you did. But look, I, I, I just think that it's like, Back in that particular time, I think even people stayed with the same football team, you know, just about all their life or whatever it might mm. be. Whereas today they all chop and change, depending on who's paying the most money or whoever wants them. Um, and that's just the way it is now. But I, I just think that um, we weren't the only ones that did that, you know, and, and it was, how can I say it? Well, the factory, see, there was really only the two factory teams running in those days, Ford and Holden, of course, and... You know, they had any, well, you know, I think Gagan and sort of Moffat and maybe Frenchie and a few of those sort of stuck it into there for quite a while. And same with the Holdens when you think about it. I mean, there was, in the end, there was really only Peter and myself, you know, and mm. then the rest of them were like Bobby Morris and Co. They were sort of, you know, not really privateers because they were, you know, driving for a dealership but and was getting help from Holden. And, but, and that was the same, I think, Bob Jane, all those sort of people, you know. So... Yeah, it was always nice if you could drive for a, a manufacturer, I found, you know. Um, and, you know, we tried to do it. And as I say, like later on with Alfa Romeo and Ferrari, not Ferrari, um, Porsche and what have you, um, they were good days as well, but it was different. Mm. Yeah, it's always different. It's always, it's always different. Yeah, um, you got to keep on, keep it on, and find <laughs> ways to stay out there and racing and doing whatever wherever. Um, with the the dealer team here in the Tirana, so we XU one and L thirty four, and and you departed before the A nine X came along. But um, what are those cars? The memories that come back to you. I mean, the XU one from yeah. the fan point of view, it, it's the nimble car that took on the giant and yeah. it slayed David Slade Goliath plenty of times. And then the the V eight powered came, car came along. But the the XU one, as you said before, probably is about twelve months too early to be an outright contender. But by the end, it it was it was the gun. No, look, um, it was still difficult at Bathurst. You know what I mean? Like we could win every race just about anywhere else. But Bathurst, you still need a V8 to get up the mountain, and that's when we were going to put the V8 in the XU1, remember? And the, baseball, and the baseball was coming along, and that all got knocked on the head, you know, when it got bad publicity through the press. But It's always the media's fault, isn't it? It is the media's fault, yeah. <laughs> but look, um, I mean, even the XU1 the very first year, I still led for the first lap. Mm. I think for the first five laps, the Moffat just pulled out and passed me. <laughs> See you later. Um but even the very first race we had in the XU1 was at Warwick Farm. And we had a bit of a problem in qualifying. We didn't qualify that well. We were about sixth on the grid or something like that. And there were only Monaros and the occasional Falcon ahead of us. And um, you know, I think Bobby Morris and, and Bob Jamer on the front and it was, I know Digby and all the others were still there in their Monaros. Anyhow, the race started, and every time in the creek, I'd knock one off, and I'd get another one, I'd get another one, and then I finally got Janie on the very last lap coming down into Creek Corner, and he tried to pump me off going around the S just after that, but it didn't work, and we won the race, and we said, so it was the very first time the car had ever raced, um, 
and we went at Warwick Farm, but I think Warwick Farm to me was one of the best circuits we used to have in those days. I used to love it. Um, I don't think we were beaten at Warwick Farm, but if we were, it might have been someone like a Donny Holland or someone in one of the races there, but it, it was, you know, one of the really good tracks. Um, so the XU1 was the definite rally car, you know, in those days. I mean, as I say, we went out and won three, you know, rally championships. Uh, well, they won four because, you know, Peter Lang won the other one, which was also in the XU1 from the dealer team. Um, and I think Tony was winning the Victorian Championships and Barry Ferguson, the New South Wales. So, so they were very successful that way. But I think at the end of the day, what would actually happen to us at Bathurst, particularly not so much 70, but 71 and, and 72 sometimes. 72 was a bit different, but 71, or, yeah, the, you were out-qualified by the Fords because for one lap, Mm. Some of the also, okay, I say also rounds, not saying also rounds, but some of the people that normally, you know, didn't drive them that much could out-qualify you, you know. So you're battling to get through these guys and, and sometimes, like, you'd pass them into the breaks at the end of the straight and they'd overtake you going back up Mountain Straight again. Oh, no, I'm going to do that again. And in the meantime, you're looking and here's Moff and the others disappearing into the distance, you know. So it was, I think that was near the time we didn't know, no, we can't have a V8. I did take... Which we used to call the meat of the beast, I think. Yeah, Harry built this bloody sports sedan with a V8 motor in it. And we took it to Bathurst and a few other places just to see what sort of lap times it would do. And it was pretty quick, you know. I mean, it would have been quick enough, you know, comparing it to series production days. But, um, as I said, you know, it, it never happened, but we did get a V8 when the L34 came on, you know, and, and that was, well, you know, then they were very competitive, but we still had drum brakes on the back and then the others finished up with, you know, better brakes again, and and it's all history. What was the the Bathurst that got away? Obviously, you win the first time you oh. go there with the dealer team, but which is the other ones uh, in the next five six years? Well, the is the one, one that sticks in your brain. The one that Bobby Morris won, I think that was, um, and we were second because like, like we were a lap in the lead, you know, and so I thought, my God, um, down the straight we used to use five thousand five hundred revs, right? So I just thought I'd take it easy, and I was just going down at five, you know, just driving easy. Unbeknown to me, though, that the motor had a bad um, whip in the in the fan belt at 5,000 revs, and if you're going through it, it wasn't bad, but because I was sort of on it a bit, and the fan belt jumped off. So oh. trying to take it easy actually worked against you. It was against me. And and then, so what I did with it, oh, my God, so I knew that the light comes on to say the battery's not charging so you know the fan belts come off as well and the temperature I kept on driving and I could cool it coming off the mountain you know by just leaving it in gears and and trying to get and then you the water temperature go up going up the mountain you know and I thought oh, no so we had to stop and put a fan belt on and that's when Bobby got back in front of us and then he started smoking at the end you know with a I'm not sure it was dip or gearbox oil anyway and it was history um, the other one, you know, we, we were, that's only one of them because the next time when I had Johnny Walker drive with us and we were miles in the lead again, um, and his stint and he broke a back axle because he was running over the ripple strips and, and, you know, we said, look, be careful with the ripple strips and putting power on because the axles were fairly marginal, you know, on the, in those days. And he broke an axle, so we're in there, you know, the boys nearly took him out and knocked him out, I think, but not really. <laughs> I hope not, gee. Yeah. And then, I mean, a silly time, I know that Bobby, when Bobby Skelton drove with me, you know. Anyway, 
he, he comes into the pits before, you know, and I jump in the car and that, and I didn't know, but he, he'd just gone rally crossing down through the dipper. He missed, you know, through the right. He missed it over the the thing, jumped down and landed, and in doing so, it, it pulled the brake line. And then I go up and put the brakes on, and it's got no brakes, and I'm going, oh no. And you're, sort of, and you're heading down the end of the straight, so you go down the escape road, of course, and put the handbrake on, which I just remembered at the last minute, because it was a foot handbrake. And, and got back in, you know, and they're just sort of things that happened. But, but you see, in those days, honestly, when we went to Bathurst, there was probably only about five of us that we were going to win the race. Mm. And if the other four had trouble, you were in plenty either. And I mm. think that actually happened, I think, in later on when, when Peter won by six laps. Yeah. It wasn't he was six laps faster, but he also just said he was no left. He smashed them all up too bad. <laughs> I mean, even you talked about some of those issues with some of those dealer team yeah. races at Bathurst where you were delayed. But to further to your point of the way that the competition was, yeah. in those years that you were delayed, you still finished oh, um, yeah. with Johnny Walker. Third in seventy five, yeah, yeah. Second with Harves in seventy six, yeah. Um, fourth with Bob Skelton in seventy four. So even though you're delayed oh, a few know, laps behind, yeah, yeah. you're still in the top three or four. These yeah, days you'd be twenty eighth. Oh, I know. But even like, where was it? Moffat and Peter and I were second. This is it must have been all thirty four days, you know. And he got two flat tyres because he ran over, you know, some... Oh, XU1. XU1. Yeah, yeah, 73, you know? the last lap. And I had a bloody black tyre, you know, and the thing just sort of spun on me a bit and then it wouldn't start. It was one of those years where I was on SUs and he was on Webers. Peter, I mean, was on Webers. I was on SUs. The SUs were a little bit more economical and we sort of, you know, were trying to split when you stopped and all that type of thing. And it wouldn't start again. You know, you sit in a car when it's stalled and... I don't know what happens in those days. They must get hot or something, but it takes you about 30 seconds to get the thing going again, and then you get going, and, and away you went. Um, you know, and obviously in 72, you know, I had a crash on in the wet, you know. Peter pinched my tyres, I kept until the end. It was really funny. We only had one set of wets and one set of intermediates, and and Harry asked me, and I said, I have the wets. And when they, in those days, they pushed the cars in on the grid with him, and I'll get it. Jesus, Harry, what the, and she says, don't worry, cock, this rain won't last, you know, and I've got these intermediates on. Well, he was right, but neither did I. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> and, uh, I often say, how many times have you told the story? No, I, 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 I often say, no, I just, I just crashed that pedicure with his first race. Very but kind anyway, of you. Very kind of me. No, no, I mean, it was one of those really good races. We would have, um, you know, had survived those laps because we probably would have had the right tyres on, yeah, because the rain sort of stopped. It was starting to dry, but we just quite get there. Um, the only problem with that one too was that, you know, I walked back to the pits and the boys said, what's a car like? I said, it's not bad, you know, it just got the front wheels, it hit the wall on the side, you know, on the, um, going through the fast left hand at the top of the hill anyway, and we hit the Armco with the front left and that sort of damaged that, and then it ran, slipped onto its roof. And I had the brakes on as hard as possible, but it wasn't slowing down. Funny that when the wheels are in the air, mate. <laughs> and then we did another one and a half with Pike, I think, to the infield and just parked it. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, but it, it, the radiator was leaking, so it was pretty pointless, you know, trying to get it out of there. And it wasn't all that bad, except that after the race, the tow truck driver came along and put a chain th- through the roof and picked it up and... and destroyed it, you know, and crashed it into the back of the truck all the way back down to the pits, I think, and I'm going, it wasn't that bad when I left it. But <laughs> they wouldn't the crew it. looked at you and said, are you telling Fibs? What did you do to it? <laughs> it wasn't me, it was him. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Oh. Gold, gold. Mm. Bathurst stories. Oh, yeah, sure. Could, could do them a mile, but uh, you emerged from your career without any injuries. Yeah. Never, never really had any 
you know, um, everyone sort of had crashes along the way, but yeah. nothing that ever busted you up? No, well, we, we <laughs> tried to stay out of trouble, I suppose, you know. Um, I mean, that Bathurst one was the only time I've been upside down that I can remember. Um, occasionally with rallying, you'd slip off the road and fall on its side or do something stupid. You but know? there's no evidence, is there? No, no. unless there was someone there with no, a camera on no, the stage, no, no, you'd no. be fine. But I always have to laugh, you know, um, when I got Harry Vouten, they'd come out and drive, you know, for us in the Southern Cross Rally, you know, and he spoke to me before, he said, I, if you want me to drive at 10 tenths, I must have a left-hand drive car. And I said, yeah, sure, Harry, we can build left-hand drive cars, all the parts are available. So we did that, and then he comes out and we're sitting in the factory, and he said, I'd just like the seat a bit high. And I said, that, that's great. We can do that too, you know. And, and then David comes along, Richard, and he said, look, can you put my seat as low as possible and more towards the centre of the car, you know. I thought, my God, no wonder they're world champion, you know. He's offsetting how he's sitting up there. He's putting his weight lower and back more towards, you know, the back wheels to get traction on the back wheels and everything else. And eventually when I did sort of say to David, why do you want to – sit back there he says I just want to be as far away from the action that we're probably going to have <laughs> and and Harry said to me he said but Colin how many roll have you had this year and I said none okay. how many have you had Harry oh I think I'm up to 12 <laughs> and then he said well how do you know where the limit is and I said well that I couldn't answer <laughs> If you've got to roll 12 cars to find the limit, you're probably oh, there's found no it. Way, there's no way we could write that, those sort of cars off, you know. It's, it's a bit of a European uh, mentality. It was Europe- look, look the Europeans them. had a different mentality. It was okay if you crash as long as you're leading, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free. Because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. To cover off the, the dealer team era, how was your relationship with, with Harry right throughout? I mean, what sort of a like, – we always have an impression for, yeah. for people of my generation looking back at the old tapes and the old magazines and the old stories yeah. that many of you guys tell. But was, was he as gruff as we would be made yeah. to be or did he have a soft side at all? Oh, look, I think everyone has a soft side, you know, but I think everything had to be done Harry's way. And you had to sort of work it out how to get around that, you know. And I can remember going to a Sandown race, you know, in – is it actually one? Oh, it doesn't matter anyway, you know. I'm just thinking, and I thought the bloody Bridgestones are the gun, you know, the sand down. So if you walked up to Harry and said, Harry, I want to run those Bridgestones, you know, in the weekend, you'd say, no, cock, they won't work, you know, something like that. But if you went up and said, Harry, do you reckon those Bridgestones would be any good at Sandy on this weekend? Well, I'm not sure. Anyway, 10 minutes later, you get your. I think I'll put those bridge stones on your car this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of mind management. Oh, look, it was. But, like, you know, I, I think the only trouble, and even Tate sort of says, he said, look, 
you know, in the end, Harry was sort of trying to change history and make sure that he never made a mistake or something, you know, like some of the faults that we had, you know, with cars, whether we dropped valves or did something, it, it became our problem. We over-revved the cars or we did something, you know, instead of it was machining done on the valves at the time wasn't correct. And, and you know, it's sort of silly little things like that. But, you know, when you look back in history, like he, he was well advanced than anybody else if you went back to TC days and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I think even with Ford, you know, like when that Ford did that proving ground thing where they drove around for a hundred odd thousand or a hundred million. I, I think they're know. still out there driving around. It <laughs> I mean, his car had five studs and all the others only had four studs or something, wheels, you know what I mean? Like it just, but, and you think, okay, you know, he just didn't break. But look, it was, how can I say it? Um, he was quite clever. Um, you think about it, you've got to – we had a lot of grey areas in the in the regulations in those days. It was how you interpreted the regulations, right? I can remember after the L34 we raced it somewhere and we'd been disqualified because the inlet manifold, you know, wasn't right. And I go, really? So I go along to the hearing and, and, and the guy is there and he says, I've got the inlet manifold here – off, you know, Colin Bond's car, and here's a standard one. He says, I won't use a micrometer, I'll use a foot rule. I go, oh, that sounds good. And he says, what's this one? Three inches, this one's four inches wide, this one's this thing. Anyhow, on the R34s, the inlet manifold comes to a block where the carburetor bolt's on, and you're allowed to modify the flange to suit a bigger carburetor. You know, but I mean, Harry had moved, you know, taken about nearly an inch off the top of it and all this sort of stuff because the it was a bigger carburetor. Anyhow, we, he won the case because they couldn't determine where the flange started and finished because <laughs> it, was, it was just a block of aluminium, you know, going down. And you think, okay. Whereas if it was a side valve, you think the, the flange might have been three eighths of an inch thick or something like that for arguments. You know. But anyway, it was, as I said, it was how you interpreted the rules. Um, I don't think we ever got done for cheating or anything like that. So, I mean, everything must have been it's only okay che- at It's the only time. cheating if you yeah. get caught, isn't it, or you get oh, penalised? Oh, no, but even so, I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, the Ford would put in a 30-point protest on our car and Harry would put another 30 on theirs or, or something like I don't know, it's just a way I bit at the time. It was beyond me. I wasn't involved with any of that sort of stuff. But, but um, uh, no, it was good. I, look, I think... Um, you know, what he achieved initially with the Holdens was great. Um, and even after that, if you said, like, you know, when you think about it, you know, all the races we won, you know, and then the XU won because, see, even with Ford at one stage, he, when they were running the Falcons, he made those Cortina, you know, the 500 Cortinas, mm-hmm. and they won, you know. So he sort of thought about sometimes a lighter car, you know, could be the go. And and, and that's why the XU1, I think, came on as a because it, it, it had the same brakes as the Monaro, but it was a much lighter car. Um, but anyway, that was the way it was. I mean, you you accepted it. I mean, Harry, um, you drove with it. We used to have to drive our cars, you know, ourselves. You know, you'd come down to Melbourne, pick it up, and, you know, there would be myself in the Bedford and my wife and, and Peter Brock and that, and, and he'd be in the... Whether it was the whole panel van or something, and the table were towing these things to the lakeside or something like that, you know. 
and, and then when you got there, halfway through the race, you'd be changing your own tyres because there wasn't anybody else there. there was only, but yeah, that's the way it was. You know, uh, if that's a factory team, how were the poor privateer blokes doing it? That's... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, oh, look, you know, as I said, because they were series production cars, it was much easier too to. They were easier to drive. I mean, I like at Bathurst, you know, you look at a Monaro, four speed. I think I was even using third gear to go up. Up after mountain straight to go up the hill, and then you might go back to second at the cutting, and then you're third, and and it was easy. Whereas today, because six speeds and and everything, boom, 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 you're mm. almost like running around the track in one respect because you know you're changing gears and accelerating and braking, and all that type of thing. So it was a different world. Um, as I said, like what are they doing about a minute faster than us now? Or something? Yeah, they're they're down a two minute three. Whatever. I think McLaughlin did the yeah, other I year. Know. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's just. But then again, I think in saying that, I mean, sure, the track gets faster. You know, they've made the track much better, wider. I mean, we, it wasn't very wide initially, and we had was barbed wire fences down the, you know, down the straights. But um, and obviously the tyre technology that's around today, just you know, everything goes faster with tyre technology. And then, of course, you know, the engines and everything else, and the stock absorbers. You know, they're all just. And it's all purpose built. It's it built is. to race. It's not a it road is. car that's turned no, into it's a, exactly a right. race car. It's mm. very different. But the DNA is the same of competition and trying to be better and go faster and beat the other guy. Absolutely. Girl. Oh, no. The same I, thing. I just said anyway, it's just that's the way it was. Mm. 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 Um, you mentioned Brock before. Mm. How, how did you guys get on back in the day? Initially, very well. Um, only because, you know, we used to have to drive the cars in the state or something. You know? Anyway, look. Uh, no drama whatsoever. Um, I, I think because he lived in Melbourne, he spent more time in, in Harry's than I did, you know. So he was then starting to try and get the bridge stones on his car. Was I think all that? Get, get, getting the team around him because he was there yeah. every day or two. Or um, but then, so he left the team in '74. A couple of I, I thought originally he he wanted to take over the team, um, but um, also this is when he was married to um, Michelle Downs, who was Miss Australia, you know, and I think the person who was looking after her thought he should be Mister Mister Australia, <laughs> and you know, and then I think was starting to go to GM saying, well, you should be paying him for this 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 this, you know, so. You'll never know the exact story, so that's when he left, and then went and you know drove for Hound off and, and all mm. those sort of guys. Um, and and look, I think um, and the other thing, of course, with, with Peter later on and everything else, he had this the old doctor that was waving the crystals over him and telling him how good he was. Um, and then they made the little box, the polarizer, the polarizer. Yep. You know, I was trying to sell them for 400 bucks or something, and all they were was a magnet and some They're crystals. worth a lot more on eBay now, I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I know that, but I mean, I, I'd almost believe it if you could make something for 20 cents and sell it for 400 bucks too. <laughs> hey, if, if you've got an idea in business, let's go in together. <laughs> no, no, and it didn't do anything, so no one could come back at you and say it didn't work. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, it's. Uh, I, I think Peter Peter's um, main... Ability was the fact that that he had a heap of faith in his own ability, basically, you know, and that's he just thought that he was better than everybody else, and and off you went and did it, you know, and and I think that that works with a lot of people, mm. 
you know. If you think you should be coming second, then you're only going to come second. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's a common trait in all the successful sports people over mm. the years, whether they're winning Wimbledon or yeah. winning Bathurst or yeah. VFL Grand Finals. You've got to believe that you can actually do it. So, Well, I think, I mean, it'd be like a tennis player, you know. You're number 100 or something. You're up, you're up against number one in the world or something next tomorrow, you know. Mm. If you go there thinking, oh, well, he's going to beat me anyway, you're going to get beaten. But, mm. if you, you know, so it, look, it's... I often used to say, I, I don't know about motorsports sometimes because you, you drive a car and you, you're doing a good lap time and you think that's it. Then someone goes faster and breaks it by a second or something and you think, shit. And next week you go out and do the same thing. You think, well, why did I do that last week or whatever? You know, so I don't know. I think there's a lot, a lot in your brain that you've, you've got to convince yourself that it can be done, you know. I mean, at one stage, I must admit, we went to Sandown, this actually one day, and um, and Peter and I have always been very close on lap times. Anyway, this day, he's a second lap faster than me. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, you know. He must be getting through the causeway flat out, you know what I mean? Because you know, I was getting good runs onto the back straight and everything else. Anyway. You can't go, and not that it's the days before computers and data and just check the, no, no, check no, the no, lines. No, 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 no. You can't do that. If someone said, how did you do that? I said, I don't know, I've got a good run. <laughs> Anyhow, so I've come through the causeway and I've, without breaking flat, and I've even glanced off the, the wall on the outside, just a, yeah, just a little brush, no big deal. I got it down to half a second. I thought, Jesus, half a second? Where's he doing that? And then one of the engineers at GM came up. This was only on a Friday practice or something, you know. And he said, oh, that new camshaft, we put in Brockley's car's working really well. I said, oh, God. I wish I had told you. I get they're killing myself. You, you nearly sprayed yourself in the causeway at Sandown <laughs> one day right. for no need. You know, um, I mean, you, you wouldn't be right. But it was just one of those sort of things occasionally if they wanted to try something, you know, when you went to, you know, the practice beforehand, you know, they might do things. But it'd be nice if you were told sometimes. A, a bit of forward warning would mm, always be mm. handy. Uh, you have an amazing achievement in the sport that no one's going to beat. Uh, mm. it, it, I'll say that no one's going to beat this, that you won Bathurst, the Rally Championship and the Touring Car Championship. And it's the Touring Car Championship that's probably overshadowed by the other two a little bit. Yeah. But 1975, the championship's completely different these yep. days. I think it was seven or eight rounds back oh, in those yeah, days. No. Yeah. Um, L34 Tirana with HDT. Mm. Um is that something that you're you're really proud of that you're able to win the championship? That you know, there's a lot of really good yeah. drivers that have won Bathurst, but not won the championship. Oh yeah, sure. I remember won the Australian Grand Prix. They got us. Yeah, he's right. got you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. If I stuck around in the in the five thousands a bit longer, maybe. But anyway, that never happened. Um, yeah, look, uh, I just enjoyed it. I guess you know that was one thing, and and. And the same with the hill climbs and what have you. Like we we bought this Lynx Peugeot from Bob Holden after the Round Australia Rally in '64, and we just it was a big race car, but it was you know, and we went to a hill climb and won it. You know, we thought, oh, it's not such a bad thing after all for hill climb, and then a lot of other things, and we came second in the Australian on two occasions. You know, beaten by bloody Shank. Shankin. <laughs> you're, the the, the you're, you're the same as all the race drivers now, starting the word with bloody and Schenken put uh, together. Yeah, no, 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 we're okay with Schenken, but he, he had this little go-kart with a you know, aerial four-square motor or something, you know. You know and, uh, and we had the other thing, and I used to keep on saying to you, you know, when he went overseas, what well, you get to drive with Ferrari? Did you tell Enzo you beat me or something? Yeah. And they're just joking, of course. And then Alan Hamilton beat us at um, Collingrove um, 
he was in one of his Porsches and, and we were back in the links again, you know. So we never won that, that but we, we were second on two occasions. So that's, yeah, but it was, and I enjoyed even the off-roading stuff, you know. We did some off-roading for, you know, Old Man Emu in those days, you know, John Chapman. And um, that was different and good, you know. I, I always thought that um, the off-roading things, because they had so much suspension travel and everything else, you could go over the rough and what have you. But when you're trying to line a gate up or something, they, they didn't have the same standard of accuracy as a rally car or something, you know. But, but it was the same for everybody. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, anyway, it's great. Hey, there's so much to talk about. We've, yeah, we won't be able to go all day. We'll have a little bit of a dip at it. But yeah. uh, that that championship win in '75 too. So that was the year after Brock had left. So yeah. um, it, you were the HDT guy that year. Sure. And I think it was about seven or eight rounds. What's your standout memory about becoming the yeah. Australian Touring Car Champion? I'm, I'm not sure. I know that um, was it Lakeside. One, I'm not sure which one it was. Now the last one at the win. No, it was. Did. Yeah, it was yeah. Lakeside. Um, but it was, yeah, see, up until then, we really hadn't done the Touring Car Championship, you know, mm. because Peter had sort of done, as I said, and we were doing the rally side of things. And, and you might pop up at the odd Sydney Yeah, odd Touring Sydney one, whatever, but, yeah. but that was it. But you weren't you know? doing the whole thing. No. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> yeah, it was, not, I mean, of course it was nice, you know. Um, and then when you look back, you know, and you saw oh, Pete Gagan won it five times or something, and Dickie's won it four times, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And, and had you <clears throat> probably gone into it, but but even after the Holden Dealer team and after Moffat and everything else, even though we're running the escorts, we then started driving, you know, um, Master and Capris and things because they had the three-litre series at Amory Park and what have you. So you're then running class cars for a little while. And um, as I said, and, and then it was nice because we got then picked up by Alpha, you know, and, and you still had a factory behind you and mm. things and what have you. And even Alan Hamilton, we went over across the run at Le Mans. You know, there was Peter Brock, myself, and Jim Richards in a 924 GDRS. Um, the car wasn't good. It, it, was, it didn't start, did it? Did, oh, did no, we, no, none of them did. I mean, it was <clears throat> it was absolutely a disaster. And, and it's really disappointing for Alan because Alan Hamilton had been the Porsche distributor here, you know, forever. His father was, was the first one, I think, outside of Germany to have a dealership. Anyhow, whenever you got a, a, a you know, how can I say it, a race car from from them, you just they gave you a book and said, This is how you set it up and where you go and, and, and away it went. <clears throat> Anyhow, um there was a French team, an English team and us, you know, driving these things. And we all flew over there of course and had a bit of time in Germany and we went to the factory and it's in a million pieces, you know. And and they all said, Oh yes, it's leaving on Monday, you know, to go to France. We said, really? You know, anyway. <laughs> and we get there and of course they're gone on the Monday. I said, bugger, they said they were going and they're gone. <clears throat> but it was so funny because at scrutineering, Jim and I walking around with the car and they put their sticker on the car and you've got to go and go to all these different places and see how much fuel it takes. You know, they drain the fuel and fill it up and, and we're 10 litres short or 20 litres short. And I said, is that right? And they said, oh, shut up. You know, maybe there's a secret compartment. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, the last thing they do, they go along and they say, we want you to start the car and have the windscreen wipers going and everything else. And when we turn the isolator switch off, everything should stop, you know. So this is the first time we've ever heard the car start. You know, it's a turbo thing. It takes them about, you know, five minutes to get it to go, and it finally got going, and it's going, but, 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 And Jim turned to me and said, doesn't sound like it's got 300 or whatever it was, but anyway, 
they get it going and everything's going and the guy turns the isolator switch off and everything keeps on going. <laughs> we said, oh, no, <laughs> these Germans. Ooh. But as, as it turned out, the problem with all the cars, someone had done the gearbox and they didn't have the tolerances right and you couldn't change gears. You couldn't go first or second. You couldn't get – anyway, you couldn't go first or second or something, something stupid, right? But anyway <clears> – <throat> And then, and then, so we've got time to go on with this a little bit. Mm, of course okay. we do. So Alan says to Peter, Peter, you take the car out and do a few laps, come in and, you know. So Peter goes out and we're looking at He hasn't come around. And Danny, that's about four laps. So we um, ask our guy to go and find out what's going on and said, the car has stopped on the spec straight. Mm. Yeah. Not much. Next minute, Peter walks through because from the back straight across to the pits is only a short distance. He says, Conrad through the block. <laughs> really? And the same thing happened to the other two cars, the French car and the Pommy car. Mm. So that was that was our first day of practice. So that night they they rebuild the car, the Germans rebuild the car and they say, oh, we're going back to last year's specifications because we changed this and we changed that or something like that. Okay. And Peter said, but I had trouble changing gears as well. I oh, know, you're right, you know. So <clears throat> next day, out practice again, Peter gets in the car, out he goes, comes around, does his four laps, comes in and says, oh, I'm in trouble changing gears, you know. Oh. And I said, can I ever go, you know, you know so I get in it. <laughs> You've come all this way. You've got to right. let's get out of it. Anyway. It was the third gear. It might have been. It might have been. It was one of those stupid ones anyway. So I got going and I realised on the way down, so I might have gone from first to third to second, right, if you want to go up to second. Or something stupid like that, you know, like, yeah. And it sort of worked. But anyway. So I'm going around, got a few left. And um, and I, at this stage, qualified the car. We'd gone fast enough. And Jim hadn't driven the car at this stage. Anyway, they decided to change the gearbox. So in comes the car and change the gearbox. And what they also didn't say, but the day before when the engine blew up, the intercooler, they'd taken the intercooler apart to get all the metal bits out of the intercooler. Mm-hmm. And the gaskets around the top and bottom were not supposed to be petrol. Of course, the intercooler only supposed to be air going through it, not, not petrol as well. Anyhow, they changed the gearbox. We put the qualifying tyres on the car, and Alan says to Brocky, OK, Brock, you go out and drown. He comes in through the gearbox is still the same. I can't tell you. And then I said, well, can I have a go? Because I, I sort of had this thing worked out a bit. Anyway, so I've got in and had a go, and we allowed one point. Six bar boost or something, you know, for qualifying. So I'm going, turn the knob, nothing. It's on one bar, and I more I get to the bottom, it's still on one bar, and I thought, oh, and I shouldn't have come in anyway. But anyway, I came in and said, look, we've lost, we're not getting boost. And what actually the gaskets on the intercooler had, had popped out, oh, so I had to change the intercooler and put another intercooler in. And now there's only about half an hour left or something like that, and Jim hasn't driven the car. And, and, you've got is, to, and you're not in the race at this stage. No, you've you got to do three laps. Yeah. You've got to do three laps, right? And we'd almost qualified, but anyway. So 
I said to Jim, this is what you do. You go, neat, 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 you know. So off goes Jim. I mean, any one of us would have qualified, you know. Anyway, off goes Jim. And on typical Germans, hey, as you push things, just clutch all the way down. The trains are coming. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, forget about that. So anyhow, God, there might be some Germans listening. No, no. Lovely <laughs> people. Wrong. Lovely people. No, no. Anyway, so anyhow, Jim comes past. We're talking <laughs> It's, it's real really slow. slow. He's obviously gone straight out at the end of the mole saying straight and had to do a U-turn and come back. And he come back and he said it's jammed in third gear or something. Oh. And, and that was it. End of story, you know. Lamont 81, that wasn't. <clears throat> it wasn't, yeah. Oh. And, and it was a shame because uh, they were running a 924, uh, 944, no, 944, the factory, and it went well. And that's the one that we finished up with here, you know, because mm. – um, you know, Hamo had the car, of course, and then the factory sent the three motors out that they had for the Mons for that, which we put in here and, and ran it and with Alan Jones, of course, you know. Mm. Anyway, yeah, they were good, but it was just a shame that, that um, it was just the wrong car that particular yeah. year. Yeah, and mm. so that was your one go at Le Mans? It was. Look, I, yeah, I, I mean, look, Mons, I think it's like a lot of things, you know, Vern and them have done very well out of it. I mean, if you got a factory car and you got there and did a good job, I think he sort of had a good job for some time because it was a race that you could do for quite some time as well. Mm. Um, you know, probably even now, though, it's probably going back to more younger people because the type of cars they're running, they're faster, you know. Um, they're more like Formula One cars, mm. I think, these days. And so, but it, look, it was an event, you know, it went 24 hours, you, you could be... Unlucky, it could rain or it could um, fog. You know, you could have all sorts of things there, you know. and You get it all there. And battle yeah. with it, but anyway. One car I really wanted to ask you about is that HDT Tirana sports sedan, the, the mid-70s mm. one that you yeah. ran out of Sydney. Yeah. Um, having grown up seeing photos of it, but yeah. not really seeing much in the way of vision, the sound of that car was much different to what I expected. Tell our, our mm. listeners about how that all came to be. It was a bit of a Sydney project, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Well, Henry Becky, you know, who... Who built most of Frank Madich's um, Formula Five Thousand cars and the sports car prior to that? Um, we had the workshop in the back of him, and and we sort of got the car there. Um, and GM made some molds for us, so it looked a bit like a BMW, you know, <laughs> like it had the flares on the front mud guards and all that sort of stuff. And um, it didn't look very Tirana-y by the end of it, did no, it? No, 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 no. But it was, a again, it was like it was a, a it was like a BMW in those days. They did just you know had the same box flares, you know, yeah. I mean, like or whatever it was on the guards and things. And um, it, we sort of had a rep game motor for it. Um, that was fine. Um, what we did do though, we we put a one of those um, diffs in the back of speedway diff, which you could do drop gears which they ran in America a lot, you know, but we, we had a problem with those. They kept on breaking for some apparent reason. I got, you know, I don't know, they they seemed to be okay over in America, but didn't like Australia. Um, but, no, it was good, but I think it was, what actually happened was the fact that we built it and in those days it was very good prize money for those particular cars. Sports sedans were huge in the huge, mid-70s, huge. weren't they? So I thought that's good, but what actually? <laughs> I like happened? money. <laughs> yeah. No, but so I mean, we built for nothing. It was himself and George Smith and Henry, sort of thing, you know. Henry got paid, but we, you know, well, anyway. So what we ended up doing was we ran it, and it was very, very good. It was very competitive, um, but then all of a sudden there wasn't any money to run it. 
you know, because Harry hadn't budgeted money to run it. So in the end, then he said, well, give us starting money, we won't take prize money, which was good for Harry, but not very good for me. Mm. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, just ground to a halt, basically. You know. So it was a bit of a project that what could have been. I, absolutely. I, look, I just think that um, we did it because we wanted to do it, I think, you know, whereas today, if you're going to do something like that, you, you have to make sure there was a budget there before you even started it and made sure that there was something afterwards that you could mm. actually, you know, uh, do it. But anyway, look, it's that was the way things were. You, um, I, I used to enjoy building things, I think, like that. And, you know, I mean, Harrop got it after us, I think, and mm. uh, and ran it a bit. But um, it's still around, I would think. Yeah, you know? it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think all the moulds aren't anymore. I think we had them for ages, but they were out at the Honourable John Dawson Damas Farm and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of, yeah. That's now at Oran Park Housing town. Estate. Oran Park Town, I think it's officially oh, called, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. You go there now and you can't even imagine where the track went. Yeah. No, mm. no, completely mm. different, completely mm. different. Um, one of the things looking at your... Um, I'm sitting here looking at the sheet of your oh, your yeah. Bathurst 500 slash 1000 yeah, career. Yeah. So you drove so many different cars: mm. the Camaro, the yeah. Alphas, the Sierras, mm. the Corolla Seekers. Where the hell are the Corolla Seekers these days? Um, well, I think they got converted. We had one that we made a Hyundai out of. Hang on. So you made a Hyundai out of a Toyota? No, we you, you pulled the bits all, out. But of no, it. Well, we made all the uprights and everything else. So that, this is going back to the two liter days, mm. right? Um, and we had Hollinger gearboxes, made a couple of gearboxes for us, right? The sequential things that aren't that are, which which was the norm in those days. But we had a problem with. If I thought about it now, I think I, I could have fixed it. You know what I mean? But it was just one of those sort of things that the alignment of the clutch, because you put um, steel main bearing caps and things on you. You did a bit of machining, and and the crankshaft might have been moved up a little bit, you know, to when they tunnel bored it. So, and there was no spigot bearing on the on the Toyotas. It's just a it just the first motor shaft just sits on the clutch and it just sits there, you know. So it would sort of wear the thing. I don't know. We just had a, a few clutch failures, whereas if we could have had a a longer shaft or a spigot bearing, and the fact that the first sh- the first gear had to be made out of a, a stiff material because it was the splines and the first gear, you couldn't make it out of something which had a bit of flex to it maybe. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, so that, that was just all. But when we made the Hyundai and we used all the uprights and everything else and everything else, we didn't use the gearbox, all the motor, of course, um, and... Because we got a Getrag gearbox out of England, which was suitable for all the other two leaders, the trouble with the Mitsubishis are the motor's on the wrong side of everybody else. Mm. So we had to make the motor run backwards to make the car go forwards. <laughs> Usually it sound right, it's, it's, it? it's, it's okay, you can do it, but it, there are a few things that, you know, but anyway, look, and the alternator, of course, had to go forwards, oh, you know, I mean, look, there, that was sort of, so it was never, hey, 
we took it over to Macau and ran it there and a few things. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. yeah. Your last Bathurst was '94 with the late Anna's Olufsen, actually yeah, one yeah, of the, the yeah. Gibbo Winfield mm. Commodore. So you, you you finished up driving a Commodore. So was yep. that a case of uh, Freddie offering you a drive to go? Well, this is this would be a good way for you to do your last one. You decided at that point that you were pretty much done. No, not really. I, I just think that um, no, Freddie offered the, the drive. You know, and I said, yeah, fair enough. Um, it was the first time we had driven a car with a bit of. How can I say downforce, mm. basically? So they were different to drive. You, you could break into the apex of corners and all sorts of funny things where and you could go before you felt as though you could go, you know, so you had to just get used to that side of it, which was no drama. Um, and then I just sort of felt that well, during the race, we, we actually got in the lead. Mm. We, we went down a lap and then... Um, it started to rain, and I was off at a thousand in, in the wet sort of thing, and and got in the lead, and and then obviously, a because I think we probably had the right tyres on at the time, you know, which obviously helps, and and then we finished up sixth I think overall, but we we're typical like it was in those days. A safety car comes out with what thirty laps to go or something at the end. And you one, two, three, four, five, six, just circulating, you know, because, and that was the way it was. Um, no, it was good. I, I sort of enjoyed it, you know. Um, but it was, well, I think after that, what did Freddie and them do? Did they, they finish, was that was going back to Winfield days too? I yeah, think. That, was, that was Winfield. So they, they had one more year with Winfield the next year. And, yeah. Um, Jim's young bloke, Steve, ended up getting his Bathurst. Debut the next year. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, had, had you decided after that that pretty much you'd you done, well, or there was just no think, drives? Yeah, or? well, I, I think you know we'd run our own team with the Sierras and things like that. Um, we employed all the mechanics, of course. We knew all the mechanics. You know, we had about four. Like <laughs> <laughs> it sound bigger than it was. Oh, I know, I know. It was just, I mean, mind you, I, I mean, it was sort of quite funny, you know. Uh, you know, if I were to go, but like when we ran around Australia in the Cortinas, um, and Ford only made the decision six weeks before the event. Good luck. To do it. <laughs> and we built these cars, you know. So, and, and of a night, I used to have about 30 guys come in after work to give us a hand, you know. And you'd send someone up to McDonald's to, to get dinner for everybody, you know. Cost a mint. I know, but he'd just say, you know, I want 30 of these hamburgers. And of course, the girl would say, eat here or take away. <laughs> <laughs> take away. <laughs> um, one of the things we love to ask our guests on our podcast is mm. um, about uh, old race cars. Yep. If, if we said, Bondi, here's a million. Go and buy back one of your old race cars. What's yeah. the first one you'd go and get? Or, you know, rally cars, rally race cars. cars yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I look, you'd probably have to say the last one, you know, the last one you had. And, and for me, I suppose that would be a Sierra, right? Mind you, I was so glad to get rid of them because they were <laughs> like a hand grenade in those days. <laughs> but since then, the technology as far as computers – um, there were some better blocks around which we weren't able to get in those days, which you can get now. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, the guys running the series now, you know, I think are having much better time than what we had with them. 
But the car that I really liked driving, but you wouldn't buy it from me and Bucks, of course, was the Porsche 956. Well, I'll give you a couple of extra million if that helps you get the deal done. <laughs> oh, no, they would cost you that to run the things. Um, we ran that at Sandown in the sports, you know, the uh, when we had the world championship, you know, here. Um, it was a ground effects car, you know, and, and it was good, you know. And they were the things that came first, second and third and everything else in those days. But, you know, that was with um, Beloff and mm. Jonesy and... Gurus. Yeah, Lots yeah, of big gurus. All the guys, you know, yeah. So, um, and and we were fairly competitive, I thought. You know, we, we we were doing same times as the other guys, as more or less, you know. It's just that the way things were. I mean, the Sandown track in those days was really bad news because they... Extended it through the middle with that wobbly bit, which mm. which was really yeah. no one liked it. No did one. They? No, they had to do it, I think, because it's supposed to be for that particular race. The distance had to, or the track length had to be X. Or That's right. You know? was, anyway, yeah. but it was it just made it really difficult. Not difficult, but and the thing we had, we had the long wheelbase one, which was more on one type version than what the factory cars had, the short wheelbase mm. versions because of that. But anyway. Um, and of course, you know, uh, how can I say, you know, my co-driver in rallies, John Dawson Damer, the Honourable, he had seven Formula One Lotuses, of course, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You, you drove? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we used like to a drive. 79? Oh, yeah, well. Yeah? Yeah, we, they, well, they started at a 16. A 16 is a sort of front-wheel drive. looks like a Vandal, I guess, you know, like a two-litre Climax motor. And then the 18 was a rear-engine car and... And the 25, which was first of the V8 uh, monocoques, which was actually a Jim Clark car, the one he had. And um, he did one like eight Grand Prix, I think, in one year. Uh, the 39 was the thing that Gagan had here. It was a Clark car. They put the Repco in. And then the 40, 40, 49, which was the one I liked and drove the most, which was a, the first of the DFE-powered mm. cars. Uh, and that was a Graham Hill car. Um, he had the the one he was killed in, which was the sixty three, I think it might have been. That was a four wheel drive car. Mm. They only ever made two of them, and this was the only one that went. And this is when he had the accident going up Lord March's driveway um, in England. Um, and we don't know what happened, but he must have just dropped the wheel off onto the grass. Four wheel drive thing. It was only a very narrow bit of road, and and they he collided with the barricade at the end of the, mm. the run um, and of course the Mario Andretti 74 is it 75 oh, 78 79 yeah, yeah was, one of those I, anyway. I remember seeing and that was the full ground effects with the yeah. skirts and all that um, we didn't drive that we, used to, we did drive it we didn't drive it much because it was a bit too young for any of the races around at the time uh, yes you know but, you know, had we still had it now, of course you could have. You I know? tell you what, though, you've just blown my Bondi car buying budget out with all of those. If we're <laughs> going to go and get all those back for you, we're going to take a lot of time no, and a lot of money. So no, you- no, they, um, they, they, oh, look, they sold them all because the family wasn't that interested and um, they didn't get a lot of money for them, you know. Mm. I think the, probably the most money was paid was probably for the 25, which was... And someone here bought it, I think, and it might have only been like one and a half mil or something, you know. It was just a sort of... It's, a big, of it's a big market out there in the world for those sorts well, of Well, there is, cars there is, days. you know. It's, uh, it's quite unbelievable. We rebuilt the 63 here, or, or you know, and um, that's gone to America, I think, you know. But, um, 
it looked a bit like a Indianapolis car anyway. Mm. <laughs> Shape a bit. One of the things we love asking people too while I think of it is motor racing people are, well, we're all strange. Anyone mm. who's following this sport or involved in it's got some sort of strange thing going on. But they're either at one end of the spectrum or the other in that they are a hoarder or that they keep nothing, yeah. whether it's memorabilia, places oh, yeah. that they've been, stuff that they've done. Mm. Where are you on that scale? Um, yeah, definitely not a hoarder. I've, I've still got a Fangio car out in the garage here, though. But A what? A Fangio car? <laughs> yeah, but it was nephew, not the old man. Yeah, oh. the MR2 Toyota. Well, s- still? So, oh, so this, that's the 12-hour car? Yeah. It's in. It's your. It's your daily driver here? That, I, I, yeah, I just, I've, I've just got to fix it again now. It's, um, no, I just... It, uh, how can I say it? Uh, it came sixth outright, I think, you know, yeah. one of its class. And it was him and Batesy and uh, Peter McKay, you know, at Bathurst. And then John and I took it to Tassie and we came 12th outright. In Targa. In, in Targa. Yes. You know, against 300 cars and there wasn't a single Ferrari ahead of us at the end and all this sort of stuff, you know. So, I mean, it, it was only a serious production motor car again, but it was, it was a good car, you know. Um, and I, I sort of kept it for some reason um, and driving it. But I blew a head gasket, you know, a couple of years ago, <laughs> just driving up, up to the lake where we've got a weekender and uh, it took me a while to fix it and then I pulled the motor out and everything else and finally got around to fixing it and putting it back in again. It's got so many bloody vacuum lines going <laughs> everywhere on these things. Anyway, I drove it home and all of a sudden it started to get a bit slower and it, I think it might only have a fuel blockage or something like that, but I just... I'll get around. You'll get I've got my boat out of the water up the lake. I've got to do work on that. And you've got oh, this yeah. here and that. You know, so yeah, you're supposed to be winding down, relaxing, enjoying life. This sounds uh, too much, too I busy. Know. I only get one game of golf in a week if I'm lucky. You know, oh, you've, got to, you've got to fix that. You've I know, fix that. it's really hard work. <laughs> are, you, are you a keeper of suits and helmets and bits and pieces like that? Um, gave them with helmets. No, gave them with helmets to Mick Mitchell, at Course Automotive. He's got them in a nice thing over there. Um uh, I think my wife gave um, all my rally jackets and things to, to Vinnie's. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've got all, all these walk around and hold dealer team <laughs> gear. <laughs> anyway, um, all the trophies run to the house up at the lake, I think, in a box somewhere. Anyway, I mean, look, anything I've got, I've got a, a set of racing car news. Right? Oh, magazines? Yeah, yeah, the magazines, a full set. Um because they've got a bit of history that you can look into, you know, and although I suppose now with t- you know, Wikipedia and all the rest of the things, you you do the same thing. But anyhow, uh, no, I think, it, you know, God, I'm, what, I'm 77, you know, you sort of – but as long as you keep moving, I think you're okay, you know, and, mm. and keep looking at things and using your brain, you know, I think it's um, important – you know, God, you know, when I was a kid, anyone that got this old was ancient, you know. But <laughs> You're not ancient, body. No, I know. We I still don't, don't think of myself as ancient, you know. But I do play golf with, with an, another friend of ours. He's 92 and he can he still hits the ball. He's still whacking them all right. He, well, he does, but he hits his balls out of sight, like out of his sight. So we've got to look. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've got to look, look up where his ball went. You know, what do you know? Oh, anyway. Well, I, I hope you don't take the mickey and... Tell no. him where his ball is that it's not. But uh, yeah. one of the things we do on this podcast too, Bondi, is we open it up to what we call our couch racer questions. Oh, okay. Where we get some questions from the fans mm-hmm. who can fire on in and, and ask yep. a few. So I've got a couple here. Uh, one is from um, – now, these are Twitter 
In, right. no, these are Instagram names. Yeah. So they're not people's actual names. They're just what they call themselves on sure. Instagram. So Trav Airflow, if you're listening, uh, this is your question. When you were involved in the driving standards observer mm. role with the, the supercars, who was the most argumentative driver? Um, argumentative? Well, I'd say argumentative if they didn't believe what you were trying to tell them. And most people were pretty good. Uh, we used to have one guy there all the time, the enforcer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Tell more. Why was he always there? Was he just popping in no, for lunch? No, 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 but he, he wasn't super, super argumentative. Um, he was just there all the time. He, he seemed to come in every, yeah, yeah all the time. Um, but look, I think it, how can I say it? It was a job we did for nearly 10 years because we did it with two leader before that and, and then, you know, with the V8s. It's, to me, it's just like being a referee at a football match, you know. You, um, you don't make the rules, you just apply the rules. And, you know, if it's a football match, you know, you, you give someone a penalty and some team think yes and the other team go boo, you know. So I think it was more or less the same with that. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. We sort of got on pretty well, I think, with most of the drivers. Um, and, yeah, I couldn't say well, we had a major problem, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that enforcer bloke, I think he built a new wing at CAMS with some of the money that he donated every year. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, uh, another one here, uh, the favourite rally car that you wished you'd had a chance to drive that maybe you didn't, that someone else always had that you were up against. Oh, yeah. Mm, up against. I mean, the, the, the Escorts were fantastic and, and they were pretty basic sort of cars, you know, with the BDA, good motor. Seemed to be the right length, right, you know, and they handled very well. Um, mind you, when we drove the Mitsubishi Colts, I think any car would have been faster <laughs> <laughs> or better. But we did start Mitsubishi Rally and um, we even introduced Andrew Cowan to Mitsubishi and then he took off and, and ran you know, the rally art for all those years and made a fortune. I kept on saying I should have been on 10%, you know, but it never happened. <laughs> He's a Scotchman. Um, look, we have driven quite a lot of them. Uh, at one stage we were, when we used to do Car Zero over in Perth and we got to drive, you know, the Toyota, the Mitsubishi and I think maybe in the Subaru at the time, you know, just on a short course around things. Um, and they were the, the current cars mm. in their day. Um and, of course, they're faster and different, but I still think those sort of cars are harder to drive at probably 10 tenths, you know, because they are so fast. Um, you know, you would have, how can I say it? Depends how far you want to go back, of course, but we were just fortunate, I think, to drive some pretty good cars, rally cars, when we had them. Um, you know, the XU1 was pretty good, Really, because we won the championships, but I mean, if it was really rough, you know, the Nissans would would give you a hard time, you know. Um, so, no, I never really wanted. We we drove, as I said, we had driven um, Lancia Stratuses and all sorts of things, but just just on a track, you know, just mm. for a, a drive. Um, 
but yeah, no, no, we're quite happy with the ones we had. Yeah. <laughs> You've driven pretty much everything that mattered anyway. Yeah, so. sure. Uh, another one here. What was Alan Jones like to drive with? Have you got an AJ story or two? Oh, yeah, AJ was fantastic, you know. Um, he, I suppose, particularly when we were driving the Alphas, you know, uh, you know, I still rate Alan Jones as probably one of the best, if not the best driver we've we ever had. Just a shame when he came back to Australia, he sort of drank a bit of too much Foster's <laughs> and didn't have the same sort of inkling until he wanted to go back you know, to Beatrice or something like that and, and earn some more money. Um, but he would just turn the bloody alpha inside out, you know, and, and I was just amazed sometimes. I think, how do you do that, you know? Um, quite a funny guy, you know, to travel with and all that type of thing. He, he's good. Um and of course, you know, he drove with us in the Sierra at Bathurst. We came third one year, and we took it to New Zealand, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It was fun. I, I really enjoyed. It. He had a great sense of humour, and um, <laughs> I can always remember we went. It must have been running in Adelaide, and we flew into Adelaide and everything else. And and there was a motor show on or something, so we decided we'd go and have a look at the motor show. And when we came out, there was this something else was going on, and there was a chook show on. So we go looking at all these chooks, and <laughs> typical Alan would say to someone, "Well, I suppose if he doesn't win, you can always eat him or something." You know? <laughs> and you go, oh, "No, he's kind of right." Yeah, I know. Poof. Poor Fred mm. with his favourite chook, mm. you know, and we couldn't believe. Anyway, no, but he was. I, I really enjoyed his company when he had it, you know. Um, and look, you know, I think if you even ask people in the Formula One, I, I think William still rated Alan as probably their best driver, you know. Mm. Um, as I said, it was just a shame that not many people really saw him at his best in Australia, you know. Because mm. he used to always joke and say, oh, yeah, but if you've never won Bathurst, you're a nobody. He doesn't yeah. mean if you're a world champion. Yeah. <laughs> Formula One, what's that? What's yeah, that? I know. Uh, Daniel Vella asks a, a question you've been asked a bazillion times, so let's make it a bazillion and one. Yeah. Should you have passed Moffat in 77? Well, yeah, I think I should have, but then again, well, I was told not to, you know. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Look, um, I'll go through it and I'll keep it as brief as possible because, you know, Jackie X had turned up to drive with Moffat that year. And um, normally what happens, you know, Alan would get in the car on Wednesday and he didn't sort of get out of it until Saturday afternoon. So poor old Jackie just sitting there and he's not having any drives. And I said to him at one stage, well, take our car for a drive, you know. They're much the same, you know, which he did. And... Um, Afterwards, he says, well, if I get invited back next year, I'll only turn up on Saturday. There's not much point getting here any earlier. So knowing that he hadn't done many laps in the car, you know, and before we went out, you know, Alan said, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, I'm going to do the first two stints and then Hammer is just going to do the instant and I'm going to finish it off because we could do it legally within the time limits and the fuel, the way it worked out. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to go and then he's going to get in. Uh, you know. So anyway. So when the race started, off we went, and we're coming first and second. I was to pit first, so I pitted first. Tires, fuel, boom, 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 out we go. Moffat's car's in, and I get out, and I'm in front, and Moffat's car's behind, and I think X is in the car, see? So I thought, oh, this is where I zoom off here, and um, 
Anyway, I'm going pretty well. And this car's hanging on all the way, all the way. I thought, oh, that X is good. I know he's been a Formula One driver and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> so I thought I might even be holding him up, waving past. When I waved it past, Moffat was still in the car. And I said, oh, you buggy, you see, you're going to get out anyway. <laughs> As it turned out then, when we were both in the caravan in those days when two you know, co-drivers were running around, and Moffat said, look, why don't you get in my car and I get in your car when we finish it? It'll just be one of the co-drivers that won't win. And I said, ah. Mind you, I don't think it was legal if you could do it. You could actually change, but if the other car broke down, I think. But anyway, it would have been beautiful, wouldn't it, if we had done that then got disqualified? Oh, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. anyway, Both wiped out and handed... Poor would have really found yeah, inflated. Had, had anyway, Peter, that's about... You, you, anyway, you, so you would have handed Peter Jensen a Bathurst I know, I know. God, you Jensen. <laughs> Never... Anyway. So anyway, so what actually happened, while they were out there, X did get um, a bit ahead of... I think there's nearly a minute when we got in the car. So I got in and started just moseying along, you know, and slowly catching him off, but not by much. Then all of a sudden, 10 seconds in one lap, shit, you know, 10 seconds the next lap. And um, and then the sign came out for him, finish one, two, and I thought, oh, no, if I keep going like this, I'll, <laughs> I'll win by half a lap or something. You know? So I just slowed down. And as we've seen on the last lap, just sort of did it that way. Um, what actually happened to, to, to Alan's car was it just ran out of front brakes, you know, that um, obviously Jackie must have worn the brakes a lot more. And then when Moff got in, uh, he still had a bit of pad left when he wore the pads out, then the backing plates in the pistons in the front. So he only had rear brakes and, and, and they don't really stop that well. So... Uh, it was the way it was, and, and financially it shouldn't have made any difference because we pulled the prize money and I just got a percentage of it. So I thought doing it, it was nice, but it didn't quite turn out that way in the end. Anyway, Jackie did say to me, said, why didn't you win? How can they go crook if you win? <laughs> anyway, that was sort of an overseas. Of, anyhow. It's just part of history. It's it was just part of, history, part of yeah. yeah, I know. Hey, it's better to be part of history than not. So Absolutely. Uh, We've nearly finished. One last little thing that we always do on these podcasts is we call it our top 10 shootout. Yep. It's basically a fancy version of word association. Yep. I'll say something. You give me the first word that comes into your head. Okay. You're allowed to have two or three words if it's a bit easier to oh. get through. In a word, XU1 Tirana. Good car, not for Bathurst. <laughs> we'll put hyphens in there and it makes it one word, so that's okay. Yeah. Uh, John Harvey. Um, good co-driver. Harry Firth, we talked about him, but in a word. Mm, got you old. <laughs> uh, Alan Moffat. Um, good driver, worked at it. Mm. Cams. Uh, controlling body. Um Someone's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's 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 very good. That's very good. Um, Alpha seventy five. Too small a turbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan Grice. Um, never pass him on the outside. <laughs> At Amaru in 76. Oh, anywhere. <laughs> uh, Peter Brock. Um, mentally very strong. 
Fred Gibson. Nice bloke. <laughs> Amaru Park. Mm, good circuit. Mm. Used to win there just yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. Nah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. That's the top 10 shootout. We've survived it. Uh, Bondi, thank you for joining us on the V8 Sleuth podcast. It's been, A, fantastic to sit down with you. B, thank you for your hospitality mm. and coming and seeing you here at home in Sydney. Uh, today that this podcast goes out live on October the 5th, 2019, the 50th anniversary of mm. your Bathurst 500 victory from 69. Uh, it is fantastic to be able to sit here and talk to you about some of those memories and a pile of stuff that we didn't get to that maybe we'll do another day. Thanks for joining us. We've really enjoyed it. No problems and we'll see you at Bathurst. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Common Bond for hosting us and joining the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Holden. Great to sit around the kitchen table with Bondi telling stories. And if you love your Holdens, we've got a great new book that's right up your alleyway too, The Official Photographic History of 500 Championship Race Wins for Holden Commodore, a milestone that the model brought up this year at Townsville in North Queensland. Now, as it says in the title, it's got a photo of all 500 of the Commodore race wins in the Australian Touring Car Championship and what it's called today, the Supercars Championship. All the stats, all the hero drivers, and it's available to order now. Head to the VHSluth website, click on store, or head to authenticcollectibles.com.au and you'll find it there as well. If you're enjoying the VHSluth podcast, make sure you leave us a review to help spread the word. Keep an eye on our website and our social media pages to stay up to date too. Until then, we'll see you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Holden. The things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free, because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek.